Welcome to the pollsters. I'm Margie O'Meara, Democratic pollster with GBAO. And I'm Kristen Soltis Sanderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. We had a snow day. Yeah, sorry we're, we're remote today. I had some unexpected uh, c- client stuff pop up. It's all good stuff, uh, good problems to have when business is booming, but uh, I could not make it to the studio today. So uh, we're recording remote. Um, but we have plenty of fresh polls to talk about. Finally, the drought is over. The polls are here. Uh, we're going to talk today about the stalemate that is uh, existing on party ID. Gallup has released their new estimates of what percentage of America identifies with which party and where do the independents lean? We'll talk about what has or has not changed in those trend lines. Then some more fresh polls on 2020. We have Bernie and Biden in the top two spots. A little bit of slippage among Warren and Mayor Pete in the early states. But there's the enthusiasm question. Can enthusiasm save Warren? And are people taking these polls actually likely to go to the caucuses? Then we'll talk a little bit about impeachment. There's been a teeny bump in the impeachment squiggle chart. That's the scientific name for it. It's putting support for impeachment finally above 50% on average, but also job approval for Trump has taken a teeny little bump too, up to 45%. So we'll discuss what we think is going on there. Margie has some polling beefs. Uh, Go off, Queen. So you'll want to stick around for that part of the show. We'll talk a little bit about where people stand on Iran. And do people know where Iran is? The answer is not really. But the way the question was set up, I might be willing to forgive people's incorrect answers. And finally, Ricky Gervais gave a maximum DGAF uh, monologue (laughs) at the Golden Globes. We'll find out if the public agrees with his position that celebrities ought to leave their politics at home. Yes. So we had a light dusting of polls and a light dusting of snow <laughs> this week where, you know, we had a little teeny bit of snow and it just kind of blew up everybody's calendar, uh, blew up a lot of people's schedules and everyone likes to mock DC, but sometimes you just have to go with it. And that's a little bit of what happened here uh, in town this week. Um, but you can see that some new polls that and we'll talk a little bit about polling cadence in a bit, but you can see this kind of flush of polls released after the holiday. Last week, we had nothing to talk about <laughs> pretty much except like the Wayback Machine because there was nothing coming out in the very first of the year. But now that about a week has happened, um, there's some new stuff. And so the first thing that we see is Gallup's uh, Party ID poll, which is actually interesting because we did talk about party ID and the difference between DNR ID over time and the increase in the percentage that identifies independence. We talked about that in our year in review. And Gallup's new data is really consistent with that piece, which is there are more Democrats than Republicans. That continues to be true. That's been true in most of their polling since the early 90s, not every single time, but most of the time. Yet at the same time, there's an increase in independence. There's an increase in the percentage who identifies independence. That's been happening for the last 10 years or so. That seems to 
that's not a blip. That's a thing that has now happened. Um, but whether you're looking at Democrats and Republicans with leaners included, those are people who are independents, but when pushed, say they lean toward either party, or whether you don't include those leaners, either way, there's a, a slight advantage for the blue team. Yes. And so this is the answer to the question, well, why are there more Democrats in this poll than Republicans, which is often raised when people are looking at poll samples, trying to find ways to poke holes in in a poll. It's because there are more Democrats than Republicans in America by by party ID. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that Democratic candidates will always have more support. Again, you've got some people that truly don't identify with either party. Um, you've got folks that will cross party lines to vote for other candidates. You've got differences in voter turnout where in some contests, people of one party are more likely to turn out than another. But if you're ever wondering, gosh, why are there more Democrats than Republicans in this poll? This is the the trend line that explains why. However, also notably, we talked about in our end of year show um, that really interesting graphic that the folks at 538 did outlining independent is not the same as moderate and is not the same as undecided or swing voter. These are three very distinct categories. And the percentage of people who count as all three of those things is actually excruciatingly small. Um, that an awful lot of people who are independent are not necessarily independent because they are moderate and in the middle of the two parties, but also because they are perhaps out on the edges and, and more progressive or more conservative than they perceive the existing parties to be. And I think it was friend of the show, Ariel Edwards-Levy, who tweeted that in this poll, if you look at the Republican-leaning independents, they tend to look more like Republicans in their views than they do Democratic-leaning independents. So even though they would both respond the same way to that initial question, how do you view yourself, Republican, independent, or Democrat, even though two people might both respond independent to that question, they might have next to nothing else in common throughout the poll. So, you know, it's it's both independents are both this huge group and also maybe not as useful a group to study as a collective unit because there are so many different paths you can take to being a political independent. Right. Independents are not monolithic in their independence. Not at all. Not at right. all. Right. And, you know, there's something, uh, you know, and there's also the independents who are like, get me off this thing. I'm, che I'm checked out of politics and I'm an independent because this is just not my thing. And so I'm not ascribing to this. And then there are the independents who are like, I, you know, I relish my independence. I'm a maverick of sorts. And then there are independents who are really more Republican and are really more Democratic. You know, so I think that's all the, there are all those different kinds of independents, which this study did not go into, but just as a reminder for folks who look at this. And also, it's good to think about all these different kinds of ways of looking at party ID and trends in party ID, because we talk about breaking we break things out by party ID all the time there's as we've said on the show and as is true in today's show too there's almost nothing you can look at that is not explained by party ID that party ID differences on of so many issues right now are just completely massive it's almost pointless to have top lines that don't break things out by party ID because party ID differences are are so great but there are other things that are worth considering. When you look at independence as a group, often independents are, right now can look a little bit more, do they look a little bit more like Democrats or do they look a little bit more like Republicans in years where Republicans did well and Democrats did not do as well? 
independents were behaving like Republicans, you know, in years when Democrats do well, independents are behaving a little bit more like Democrats as a group, again, depending on how they're defined. In some places, we look at people who are registered as a party, but don't identify with that party. So if you're registered as a Republican, but you don't identify as a Republican, that means you're, you know, you're kind of moving away from the party, even if, you know, maybe you're a leaner or maybe you're an independent and identifies as conservative. But if you're a registered Republican, you may ultimately be a voting Republican, but you're perhaps still available for folks who are trying to find persuadable voters. Um, so all, all these different, there's all these different ways of looking at party identification and independence and ideology registration that, you know, is part of internal polling is not always released in this public stuff. So let's talk a little bit about 2020 then, because as we are now... It's happening now. It's happening. Like Iowa is within a couple of weeks. Um, Less than a month. Less than a month. uh, And the polls are are perhaps not coming in as fast and furious as, uh, as some Democrats would want. Margie, give us an update. What's going on on the uh, Dem polling cadence front? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, this is like how we keep it interesting. <laughs> Omero Mulvey household is talking about Democratic qualifi- debate qualifying polling. So we're recording this on Wednesday. The deadline is Friday for the debate. That's next week. That's if it doesn't get postponed. So let's just assume the dates are going to stay exactly where they are. Um, and that window between the deadline and the debate is smaller than it's been for past debates. Past debates, it's been about two weeks or so. So it's smaller for this this time to account for the holidays. So there's more time to, uh, you know, for the polls to come out after the holiday. But there haven't been a lot of qualifying polls. And I thought when we talked about this last week that there would be this kind of mad rush of qualifying polls that would come in right under the deadline. And maybe there still will be. But since that show, there's only been one, I think, and that's the CBS News poll, uh, CBS YouGov poll that came out, um, which doesn't change who qualifies for the next debate. So there may be a bunch of polls that come out, but maybe not. And so this has been a real conversation, you know, not just online now, but (laughs) in in the press. where you had, you know, the Yang campaign specifically say, like, there should be, you know, the DNC should do more polls or should be more polling, you know, out to there hasn't been enough polling in the last bit to inform what's happening in this debate. Um, And then DNC chair Tom Perez was in the New York Times saying, well, you know, the polling outlets should be doing more polls. You know, yes. Why aren't you guys doing more polls? You guys should do more polls. Because they're expensive. And so then people <laughs> online, you know, I put something out from the pollster's oh. Twitter account and I was like, I'm not going to get into a whole like thing about it. I was just like, there's there's time to field before the deadline. And people start responding like, why is the you know, DNC telling people to do this. Somebody said, well, you know, these these cost $40,000 or so a pop. And then some people said, like, wait, what? They cost forty? <laughs> That's how much polls cost. And you guys should talk about on the show, like, why do these polls cost so much, you know, for to do a thousand interviews? I'm like, well, actually, most of these Democratic primary qualifying polls don't even have a thousand interviews. They're fewer than a thousand interviews. Um, but that's kind of beside the point. So, you know, the it's expensive if you're doing live calls, which most of them, but not all of them are. Not all of them are live calls. The CBSU Gov poll that just came out is online. Um, it's ex- it's expensive, by the way. We'll talk about this when we talk about the new poll, but it's not just this new poll. It's in general is, you know, finding Democratic primary and caucus goers is expensive. This is a small group. What, what are you using for your 
vote screen and turnout model are, you know, most of these outlets are not working from a list of past caucus goers. They are asking people self-report if they're Democrats and then are you, you know, how likely are you to vote, Um, which is a little bit different. So it's expensive in terms of thinking about getting people using, you know, on a cell phone or live, reaching them on a live call, right? Reaching people on their cell phones is a lot more expensive than reaching people on a landline. All of that's more expensive than reaching people online, of course. And how long is your survey instrument when you have to read the list of candidates? It's shorter now, but it's still long. And finding out some other information from that is means you have to keep people on the phone for, you know, not insignificant amount of time. And so for polling outlets, you know, they have to make a decision based on the news value for them and their own understanding and maybe not maybe thinking less of what does this expenditure mean for the Democratic debate qualifying system. Yeah, I mean, $40,000 is too high. If you are paying $40,000 for a poll of 500 Iowa caucus goers, it, it better be coming in like a gold plated cross tab book to you. But, but polling, it doesn't have to be $40,000 for it to still be very expensive. And many news organizations these days are not flush with cash and do not have unlimited resources to plow into what is still, I mean, probably, you know, certainly five figures to do a really good poll, maybe not $40,000, but still a lot of money. So, um, well, the polling outlets too, by the way, I should say, Prices will vary, and polling outlets have their own poll. Media outlets have a polling department and work directly with a the vendor. They are not working with a, you know, there's poll, no markup. Like, there's no. I don't want to say markup, but there's no like yeah. additional person who's managing the process. They have somebody in their internal polling department at these media outlets who works directly with the vendor to make it happen. So that's a little bit of a different, you know, workflow. Yes, but I am sympathetic to media organizations being like. Look, my job is to produce polls that are good, that fit within my organization's budget, and come out in a time that maximizes their news value. Yeah. And so you can argue that by doing them as a qualifying poll, you are maximizing their news value. On the other hand, I mean, the other thing to keep in mind is like getting field time. This is something I think people really outside the industry don't understand is that field time itself is a finite commodity. There are only a certain number of people in the country who are making phone calls and they only have a certain number of hours in the day, you know? And so like I have a client that's not a campaign where we want to do a telephone survey and I reached out as soon as the holidays were over to our call center and said, hey, you know, we want to jump into the field. When's the soonest you can get us in? And the response was like, well, it's going to be about two weeks because we're all booked up because you know, getting enough people to take a phone survey nowadays with response rates being so low, it takes a lot of man hours to get one interview done. And so you would think the market would adapt and like you could hire more interviewers to sort of make up for the you know lack of capacity. But but still, like I, that that's another thing that I think folks outside this world don't understand is you have to book field time well in advance. Like if you have a survey scheduled for next week in Iowa just because Tom Perez is like, hey, why can't you guys do them faster? Like, you can't just call up your call center and be like, oh, hey, by the way, can we do it a week early? Like, that's not necessarily how this works logistically. I mean, the other thing, too, which we should note is if you are calling – now, national polls also count as qualifying polls. They can if they're from the – 
you know, group of, of qualifying outlets. But if you're calling into an early state, that may be harder because early yeah. state folks are like, <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> like early state folks are like overwhelmed with stuff now. So it may be a little bit harder to call into an early state at this particular moment too, which and it's is And it's not just pollsters it. that are calling. It's everybody right. in the, it's all of the people calling to do GOTV stuff. Like you, yes. I mean, it's a lot. <laughs> yes, exactly. Anyway, so it was interesting that this, this has been a conversation that has gone from like nerd pollster Twitter to the New York Times and some other outlets. And so we'll see what happens in the next couple days or still a few days for polls to come out. I still think that there'll be something else that comes out. And if that's not the case, then if no other qualifying polls come out, I mean, that will be media outlets who've decided that the cost was not worth it or, you know, the cost wasn't worth the news value or maybe some of them didn't want to be part of the qualifying process anymore I, I you know we don't know right we don't know the answers to those questions but it it is interesting you know there was lots of people sort of upset about the use of polling generally for debate qualifying and we talked to Lee Marigoff about this last cycle and the role of it in the Republican primary and it was a little bit different then than I think it's been now. And, you know, I think the Democratic side has sort of learned from what happened on the Republican side and how they use polling for the debates and so on. I think no matter what the process is, it would be hard and there would be candidates who would be on the bubble somehow. And so I think the challenge is like, is there is it appropriate to use polls at all? Or is it appropriate, you know, there to be any criteria for setting the debate stage, right? I mean, that's, I think, kind of the, the broader issue. Because if you're going to use any tool, polls seem like a good tool to have, um, as opposed to using just fundraising only, you know, just donors only, which I think has a, has a different set of challenges, different set of problems. So I'm sympathetic to folks who say, why are we using polls or we shouldn't be using polls at all. Obviously, I'm sympathetic to like the over precision, you know, the sense of precision that it, it, it doesn't really have differences of one candidate or one respondent, you know, not making the debate stage. Obviously, I'm sympathetic to all of that. At the same time, you know, I can I can understand why if you're going to use any tool at all, that polls would be the tool. Well, let's check in real briefly on just what these most recent polls were showing. Um, the big one that came out was CBS News dropped their polling on Sunday. And, you know, pretty good numbers for both Biden and Sanders. Um, you know, you have these Iowa polling uh, figures that showed Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden, you know, tied at 23, as well as Mayor Pete at 23. So 23, 23, 23. Elizabeth Warren at 16 and Amy Klobuchar at seven. And if you looked at New Hampshire, uh, it was Bernie Sanders at 27, Joe Biden at 25, Elizabeth Warren at 18 and Buttigieg at 13. Now, if Mayor Pete happens to win Iowa, there's a chance that could really vault him up into that first place spot in New Hampshire or it could mean nothing, you know, who knows. Uh, but at the moment, this really, you know, that's pretty good numbers for Biden and really good numbers for Sanders, who's had you know, kind of a, a rebound, if you will, in the early states from where things sat this fall. Um, his his numbers have improved. While Warren's, you know, doesn't look great, as, as good for her. I mean, she's still in that kind of top group, um, but, you know, not in as commanding a position as she was before. However, Margie, I think you flagged in the script that 
there's this question of, you know, we've got Democratic likely voters. Are these folks all going to be caucus goers? And how much does enthusiasm matter? And in this YouGov poll, um, among Iowa Democratic likely voters, if you are a Sanders supporter, 67% said they were enthusiastic. Warren supporters, 61% say you're enthusiastic about your choice. For Biden supporters, it was less than half. 59% said they were enthusiastic about their choice. And there's another question they say, who do you believe is safe? Uh, Biden is the candidate 53% of Iowa Democrats describe as safe. So he may not be setting their heart on fire, but he's like the nice guy you can settle down with. <laughs> uh, he's the safe choice. But, you know, how much of this is influenced by the sample frame and who they're talking to? Yeah. And so that safe thing question, they have a list of a list of words and say, okay, how well, you know, which of these phrases describes Biden, which of these phrases best describes Buttigieg. And so, you know, more voters pick safe as the word for Biden um, than pick safe as the word for some of these other candidates. And and clearly, you know, there's more enthusiasm among folks who are voting for some of the other candidates. At the same time, if you look at, you know, they have a question about um, would this candidate, if they became the nominee, would they be too progressive not progressive enough or about right. Oh, I see now it says to win over swing voters, not for you personally. So that is one of those like pretend your political consultant questions yep. in it. Um, but at any rate, people are more likely to think that Sanders and Warren are too progressive than people think that Buttigieg or Biden are not, or Klobuchar for that matter, are not progressive enough. But that's because uh, I, I didn't see until just now that that's the over swing voters piece, which I always flag those like consultant little, you know, pretend, pretend you're an analyst kind of, of questions. Um, but I'm interested in the sample frame for any of these Iowa polls. And I, I don't mean to, to single out this particular poll. And but it, you know, this poll shows 40, 41% say it would be their first time at the, at a caucus. Maybe that's high. You know, it might be a little high to think that 41% first time. Maybe it's not high. Maybe there's so many candidates and the stakes are so high that it's there's nothing happening on the Republican side. There's going to be some, you know, interest on, on the, you know, to caucus on the left. 51% um, say it's very likely that they're going to caucus. Usually when we do vote screens, the very likely number is higher generally, not just in, not, not specifically to this to Iowa caucus, just speaking more broadly. So uh, I don't want to substitute my any Iowa experience versus what you know the pollsters here have uh, other than to say let's think about when we look at these Iowa polls, the you know the the um, the incredible uncertainty of trying to reach you know a pretty small group of voters and relying on self-report because getting lists for this for this type of voter is pretty difficult. Well, before we head into the break, let's just take a quick look at some of these general election matchups. So Morning Consult has asked uh, about all of the different Democratic candidates and who would you vote for if the election was today, Biden or Trump. They have Biden up six, um, Sanders versus Trump. They have Sanders up two, Bloomberg versus Trump. They have Bloomberg up two, Buttigieg versus Trump, Buttigieg up one. Warren versus Trump, Warren down one. I saw this tweeted out as Oh my gosh, every Democrat beats Trump except Elizabeth Warren. But I would like to issue a handful of words of caution. The first <laughs> is these are all super tiny differences. Yeah. Number two, for each of these matchups, you have about 15% or more of the sample that says, I don't know. Which is pretty Further, high. Which is pretty high. And, and last but not least, 
the victory in the popular vote, as we know, does not necessarily mean someone's beating someone else for president. So we'd just like to caution everybody, this is not like, oh my god, these numbers spell disaster for Warren. Certainly the difference between being down one and being up six, like that's not nothing. I could read that and feel somewhat confident saying Biden at this stage of the game appears to be likelier to beat Trump than Warren, but it's not like some massive, massive, enormously compelling difference. And I think Twitter's a bad medium for that kind of nuance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As you might expect. Indeed. Indeed. I mean, I think, you know, it, the, uh, Warren's numbers here, I think, are consistent with what's happening with her in the primary. I don't know. But I can't tell. You know, we don't have the sub cross-steps here at the morning consult. They have lots of cross-steps online. We just did dig deep into this particular thing because the differences are pretty small, but it's consistent with, you know, what's happening writ large in the primary. Well, why don't we take a quick break? When we come back, we'll talk Trump's job approval, impeachment, and get into the rest of the other stuff that's happening nationally and internationally. So we'll be right back here on The Pollsters. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Okay, we are back. So Trump's job approval, uh, again, now that we're beginning to get a handful of polls, although the the handful since our last show really includes Rasmussen and Hill Harris X, Margie. (laughs) Hold your fire for a moment. Okay. Um, So, you know, that could very well be why we are seeing Trump's job approval finally crack 45%. But again, these these shifts are, are so minute and are primarily driven by which are the most recent polls in the mix, not have people changed their views. Trump's job approval does seem to be hanging out in the mid-40s, which is where it has been for an awfully long time. Um, impeachment is another thing that has stayed pretty flat, but has seen a teeny tiny bump. 538's impeachment poll tracker finally has support for impeachment on the impeach or impeach and remove question. So not just the should we open an inquiry, since that's that's done, but the should he be impeached or impeached and removed, that's now up to 50.5% support. So first time that little orange line on their chart cracks the the 50% figure. Um, Doesn't really show that this is movement coming from Democrats or independents. It it almost looks like it's being driven by like a single poll that released crosstabs that shows a teeny bump among Republicans. But these are such tiny changes that it really still does feel feel pretty static. But Margie, there have been a lot of uh, polls coming out, sort of looking at the details of what do people think about the trial, etc. What are you seeing on this? <laughs> okay, so 
<laughs> there's <laughs> the other way I entertain myself on the weekend. We're not talking about debate qualifying polls. Is watching Jeff Garrens light up Mark Penn on Twitter. <laughs> so he oh, said I was like, I think I was like doing something very wholesome and mom like like baking cookies or something and then i saw like jeff garen just pollster a friend of the show was on our show uh in 18 do a full tweet storm about mark penn and uh which i enjoyed retweeting and so you know one of the other things like one of the other sort of things that happens behind the scenes in the pollsters is like every new wonderful young person who helps us with the script comes to this time where I put in the margins. I do not cite <laughs> Harris X. <laughs> Thank you for including. I do not cite Harris X. <laughs> Sorry, you did not know that. Now you do. That like that happens to every single person who helps out in the script because, you know, my resistance practice for 2020. Not now. I'm going in like a full Tulum lunatic digression. It's like I don't need to read the details of what goes on in the Mark Penn polls, but I will continue to enjoy content you know that makes fun of mark penn which all democrats seem to enjoy and so jeff garens just kind of went on a rampage and saying it's an embarrassment i mean he really kind of he had like a several tweet thing about uh the latest harris x poll on impeachment and walked through the framing and the framing has you know has some things that i think are important to Note just little word differences that he was pointing out or leading us to point out that Jeff was leading us to point out. So, for example, this one question, would you rather see a long and detailed trial with witnesses as the Democrats are demanding or a faster trial without witnesses as was done with President Clinton? And, you know, Jeff's point is even with this framing you still have a majority say that want a long and detailed trial with witnesses. This is like the next deep dive question of impeachment is not simply removed, but like, how should the trial go? And it's not, I think a lot of legalese for folks and it's complicated. And so it's complicated. You know, do you ask a simple question? You know, we've talked about this before. Do you ask a simple question where people may not really have all the information or do you give them more information? And if so, how and how much? But what Jeff is pointing out here that a question that says, long and detailed or demanding it's like makes that sound not as good as something that's just fast you know fast and the way we did it before um is it is is that a fair comparison or is that a comparison that would lead one to say yeah i want something fast like the way we did it before but even in that frame a majority said they would prefer long and detailed and so you know so jeff pointed some of this stuff out people were talking about it um and then the garen hart yang had their own poll uh in for states with Republican senators up this time um, and two with Democratic senators. And they asked the question differently. You know, do you think that they should conduct a full trial and carefully consider evidence on both sides or act quickly to acquit Trump, dismiss charges against him without conducting a full trial? In that way, two thirds say conduct a full trial. You know, I think with these questions, I don't know if there would have been a different result if you the other side didn't have dismiss the charges against him you know with that right like how much of the views toward this question depend on what you want the results of the inquiry to be of the trial to be right i mean obviously that's the lens through which people view all this so as we're looking through the question wording specifically do we want to activate that more or do we want to just explain the you know the legal conversation or is it impossible to separate out the legal conversation of what the trial should look like and what should the rules be versus what we're talking about here, which is impeaching the, and removing the president? 
Yeah, one thing that I thought was interesting in the heart poll, I guess just going back to the like, how do you, you know, move forward in the house? I think this 538 Ipsos question, I really like the way it's framed where it's, it, it talks about keeping the focus solely on the evidence introduced in the house and included in the articles of impeachment. Um, that, that, you know, it's, it's rather than sort of setting it up as like, no evidence versus calling witnesses. It's sort of saying, look, there is right. a body of evidence that the House produced. Should that be what the Senate is looking at or should the, should the Senate like do its own additional research? I think that's a, I think it's a totally fair way of asking it. Um, and I, I think it does not surprise me that even a significant portion of Republicans would like more information because it's very hard to come ac- across any poll question where people are saying, yeah, I don't want more information. <laughs> people tend to really like, uh, you know, having having more information. Um, I also thought it was interesting, you know, this is just a real in the weeds pollster nerd thing, but in the heart poll for LawWorks, you know, they, they've shared a variety of slides, but they have a couple questions where they did some split samples, which a split sample for those who may be newer to the world of polling means that if you're surveying a thousand people, 500 people in your survey will hear a question one way and 500 will hear it very slightly different. Usually it's only like a word or two that's different. Um, And you just see if there's any significant difference between question wording A and question wording B. And here they specifically asked, um, in terms of the procedures for the Senate impeachment trial, one issue is whether the Senate should subpoena relevant documents and call witnesses. Half of the sample was then told, you know, this would in- could include Trump's acting chief of staff, former national security advisor, like they got a little more context about what that means. And they found that there wasn't actually a difference, even when you're providing that additional context, that overwhelmingly 72% of people say, yes, we want to see more information. I don't love, I I love my friends at Heart Research. I think they are some of the best in the business. I don't love the wording of the other option here, which is, it is not important for the Senate to see these documents and hear from these witnesses. Like that to me feels a little loaded the other direction, but I reserve my judgment a bit. Um, I, I think they're great at what they do. And I do think it's neat that they did this split sample where even if you specifically name who might be called or subpoenaed, it doesn't really change the calculation that much. Yeah. So those are three different things, the 538, Ipsos, Garen Hart-Yang. And if you care to look it up, it will not be in the show notes. The Harris, the Harris X poll um, that I guess has some has some of these questions too. Do we need to take another break or should we go right into Let's just Iran go right polling? into Iran because yeah. there's not a ton of polling out there, um, but I think it'd be we, – we, we can cover it pretty quickly since this is still an extremely fluid situation. Right. As we're talking right now, as we're recording, the president has been talking. So this is definitely fluid. Yes. Um, so as we are recording, Trump is giving a press conference. He is saying that he believes Iran is standing down – uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. So last night were the reports of the ballistic missile attacks on the U.S. airbase, as well as a handful of other targets inside Iraq. Uh, thankfully, there were no American casualties as a result of this. You had a very strange series of things all happen at once with the ballistic missiles and then this really devastating plane crash where about 170 people died in Tehran and then an earthquake in Iran as well. So you had a lot of stuff all happening at once. That was very, very bad news. Uh, But at least in terms of U.S.-Iranian relations, 
It seems at the moment that Trump does not appear interested in pursuing further military action against Iran or Iranian targets. Um, that you now have, look, don't kill Americans, and Americans were not killed by by last night's attacks. So the polling on this is, of course, fluid because a lot of these questions were asked, do you believe that killing Soleimani is going to escalate things? Do you think we're on the march to war? And I think a lot of observers, at least foreign policy experts, their position on this may have changed in the last 12 hours. But using the polling we've got, first and foremost, Morning Consult asked people, to pick out where on a map Iran is. So they had to click a dot on the map and say, this is where I think Iran is. Um, and they found that only 28% of people could, would like clicked in the right spot for where Iran is. Um, 38% of men and only 20% of women. That crosstab kind of shattered my heart a yeah. little. Um, yeah. However, in, in defense of the ladies, uh, what I'm wondering is, I mean, it looks like on the map you do have the borders of countries outlined very faintly. So I know. I looked for that, too. I was like, do people have to just sort of, you know. Like randomly, like, just point somewhere? Because there's, you know, there's a chance I could get it wrong, too, even though I know exactly where Iran is on a map. Like, if you took away country borders, there's a chance I'd miss and yes. I would drop a pin. It makes it harder. It makes it harder. What's interesting about this and the data is around it it's not just you know the percent that could correctly identify it is they have um you know a heat map basically so you could see all the places people did pick besides you know everywhere like every dot represents what a respondent picked as saying you know is what their guess was and so there are dots you know all over the world including like the midwest and canada and mexico and that part is confusing i mean it looks like I don't know, 15 people or so picked someplace in the continental U.S. Yeah, you've got some folks that picked like the South Atlantic. <laughs> you've got um, a lot of people that picked somewhere in Australia. Yeah. You've got, uh, you have a bunch of people that picked Greenland, which I saw on Twitter that was that all <laughs> at Comfortably Smug's Minions getting into the sample and <laughs> saying Greenland because that's what we need to invade next. Um, so... It's just 23% of people correctly identified where Iran was. Although, I have a little bit of a question. This, the morning consult chart says 23%, but then the uh, cross tabs that they released say 28%. So, unclear at the mm. moment which number is Maybe it's voters versus correct. respondents. Uh, the the poll overall is registered voters. Oh, so no. Hmm. So, who knows? I don't know. Um but nonetheless, we also have some polling coming to us from YouGov. This poll- and also, wait, hold on. Independents were more likely to get it correct than Democrats or Republicans, which I also find. That's unusual. No offense, unusual. independents, but usually they're a little less checked into current events and, and public events. So, yeah, that's interesting. Okay. Uh, but this question then of, you know, what are people thinking about the airstrike itself? So YouGov asked, uh, and this again comes to us, this polling was done January 3rd through 5th. You found that uh, 43% of Americans approved of the decision to order the airstrike. 38% did not approve. 19% said they were unsure. Partisan breaks are fairly what you would expect. 84% of Republicans approve. 71% of Democrats did not approve. Um, however, on the question of do you think the airstrike makes military conflict more or less likely, 
Democrats, 84% say yes, it makes it more likely. Republicans are kind of split. And this, I think, highlights the like Trump versus Tucker Carlson divide over this. Um, You know, Trump ran on a I'm going to get us out of foreign wars message. He has been critical in the past of, you know, he's been very vocally critical of the what he believes is a Republican establishment that led us to war in Iraq uh, in the 2000s. You know, he has pretty consistently taken this like no foreign wars position and it's something that Tucker Carlson and that kind of wing of the party and movement have embraced. Uh, and so you do see this divide a bit over like, well, are we escalating things? And like, should we be escalating things? So 36% of Republicans say that they think the airstrike makes military conflict more likely than before. Another 36% say neither more nor less likely. Uh, and 16% say less likely. But that to me, you know, normally you're so used to seeing these crosstabs where Republicans believe one thing, Democrats believe another, that anytime you see any kind of mushiness or wavering on the part of, of one party or the other, that's that's something that, that always, uh, you know, sort of catches my eye. Yep, yep. And also, I mean, this, you know, the question of like, you have obviously most Republicans saying he planned carefully enough, you know, he should not have gotten authorization from Congress, but it's a little bit less lopsided with those questions than it is for approve, disapprove. Yeah. Um, the other thing to just that I'm going to be keeping an eye on over the next week that I wonder if it could change the calculus around all of this. So thankfully, none of the ballistic missiles that were launched last night um, resulted in any American casualties. However, this is I'm putting my tinfoil hat on here for a moment, which is not even really that much of a tinfoil hat moment. But um, it has been reported that Iran is not going to turn over the black box of the crashed Ukrainian airliner. Again, the the timing of all of this seems really kind of strange um, that at the very moment that these surface to surface missiles are being launched, you also have an airliner go down. Um, Iran saying they're not going to turn over the black box. If all of a sudden it does become more of a narrative or if there's any additional evidence that surfaces that suggests the downing of this airliner, which took the lives of over 60 Canadians, um, I mean, like, again, this is not just affecting people in that region. This is an international tragedy. Um, will that, you know, suddenly, OK, does that does that cause more people to be angry with Iran? Does it mean people become more angry? Oh, well, Trump started this chain of events. I think even though we now have Trump giving this press conference where he's saying, oh, you know, we're going to deescalate. Let's talk about negotiation. I, I would not completely discount the possibility that this plane story becomes more of a thing over the next week. Okay, tinfoil hat removed. Yeah. You know, I don't have anything to add other than feeling like it's all terrible. (laughs) Uh, Yep, that's, hey, welcome welcome to 2020. If you you love 2019, it only gets better from here. There was one thing that we should just mention, too, is the the Reuters poll, right? We didn't talk about this. There's like a little bit of tracking. So this just came out and they did something. They had some similar questions in the middle of December. So now they show 53% of adults disapprove of Trump's handling of Iran. That's just, you know, kind of a broad question about Iran. Um, And the percent that strongly disapprove, 39% is up 10 points from December. So there's an increase there. But that increase, though, has come only from Democrats and independents. It has not come from Republicans. 
Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what's going on with Me Too, Time's Up, and how people think celebrities ought to engage with our politics. Okay, so we're back. Did you watch the Golden Globes? I watched Ricky Gervais's monologue. I missed uh-huh. most of the red carpet, but I caught the monologue and then was sort of tuning in and out over the course of the evening. So it should come as no surprise to anyone who has followed the career of Ricky Gervais or his pastimes hosting this sort of thing that he does not give an F. Um, that yeah. he is, And it's the Golden Globes, which is the award show where they're all sitting around t- tables having dinner. They're all drinking. It's 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 so different than the Oscars. Like if you don't follow this stuff closely, you may think, oh, Golden Globes, Oscars, like whatever. It's all just Hollywood awards shows. But if you like watch this stuff at all closely, you know that the Golden Globes is always a little bit more wackadoo, both in terms of who wins, because it's not chosen by like the whole Academy voting. It's like the 90 members of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. So you get all this weird stuff like, I have not seen Rocketman. This statement is not a judgment. Rocketman is great. Rocketman, I'm sure it's wonderful. But you hear stories of like, Taryn Edgerton invited all 90 members of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association to his birthday party where Elton John was playing. Like, you can, I mean, there are campaigns for Oscars as well. Don't get me wrong, but like, the Globes are always kind of nutty. But uh, Ricky Gervais's uh, monologue was particularly embraced by a lot of sort of vocal conservative commentators, not as a conservative monologue. I don't believe Ricky Gervais is a Trump fan or a conservative in any way. But that it was just sort of like, hey, celebrities, get off your high horse. Uh, You know, you're in no position to lecture anyone about anything. So get up. Thank your agent. Thank your family. Thank your God if you have one and move on. Um, Which nobody actually took that advice. And all the celebrities that won, many of them gave remarks that whether it was Brad Pitt, just I don't think Brad Pitt's comments were political. I thought they were actually quite lovely, like. Do something nice for someone tomorrow. You know, that was that's a great message. Love you, Brad Pitt. Um, or ones that were much more overtly, um, you know, political in nature. Uh, I wanted to take a look. And the Hollywood Reporter did some polling with Morning Consult in October. So it's a little bit, uh, you know, again, this one's been hanging out in the back of the fridge. But I don't think it has an expiration date that is uh, terribly urgent. So I still think it's it's interesting to look at. They said, how appropriate do you think it is for a celebrity to speak about? And then asked about a bunch of different issues. And people are the most enthusiastic about hearing celebrities talk about things like opposing sexual harassment or supporting equal pay, which are very, I think, directly linked to problems in their industry. I mean, this sort of gets to the Time's Up and Me Too movement issue, which are both sort of explicitly about those two questions. Um less support although you know not not majorities outright opposed but there's a little more hesitation around other issues like you know wanting to hear what celebrities think about Donald Trump and that may not be because people aren't interested it may be because there's just fatigue around Trump itself people are also not so sure that when celebrities express their opinions on social issues uh, that they have a great deal of influence, um, that they 40% say it's not effective at all, 14% say they have no opinion, 20% say it's not very effective. Only 24% think that it is either somewhat or very effective when celebrities voice their opinions on their views. And 
people generally think that celebrities have increased rather than decreased the differences between Republicans and Democrats. Although 35% of people in this survey said that they were not sure and did not have an opinion on that question. Yeah, I mean, I wonder, I mean, when you put celebrities, right, then it's easy to say, no, who cares what celebrities think? But if you had, okay, well, what about your favorite celebrity? What about, you know, whoever your insert favorite celebrity here, people might respond differently, right? This is kind of like, I hate Congress, I love my member of Congress, kind of question, like, who cares what celebrities think? But, ooh, Brad Pitt or Michelle Williams or whoever said this. So I'm now interested. Yeah, I sometimes this drives me nuts among and this is me like talking within my conservative families. On the one hand, like if conservatives decided they were never going to go see a movie or listen to music done by an artist that disagreed with them, like we wouldn't have a whole heck of a lot of, <laughs> of, of pop culture. Lee Greenwood and Toby Keith, right? Um, however, at the same time, John the, the, movies. The conservatives are so often willing to be like, oh, you know, these celebrities should stop mouthing off. This is so silly. Why do we lionize people who, you know, just because they're really good at acting doesn't mean their opinions are more valid than anybody else off the street. Okay, fine. But then the moment that any celebrity does even like, kind of take a conservative position um it's considered like so unusual and eye-popping that all of a sudden they get like lionized and held up as like oh my gosh we love you scarlett johansson or whatever it is for the day so it is a little funny to me that like it's like uh we don't care what celebrities say but then the moment a celebrity is like kind of conservative all of a sudden it's like we stand a fiscally conservative you know oscar nominee queen (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, I, look, it I, me I get it. I know the whole thing. <laughs> the whole thing is silly. Like, you know, people sort of popping off inconsistently about celebrities is exactly the kind of celebrity conversation we all deserve, you know, <laughs> like, uh, as opposed to very serious conversation. About but did you how did you feel about the win? Did you watch the Golden Globes? And how did you feel? I was about on the, the back. I was at a dinner party and it was on in the background. So I you know, read a little bit of like highlights just to feel I was vaguely engaged. And I was glad to see some of the shows that I like, like Fleabag and Succession win. Um, And that was kind of the beginning and end of my consumption of it. Yeah, I didn't Michelle Williams, Michelle Williams speech about uh, reproductive freedom was something that, you know, stood out and obviously got a lot of mentions in my timeline. I didn't have any strong feelings about the winners of shows. I was glad Succession got some love. I was glad Fleabag got some love. Um, and I was really excited. I have not seen The the Farewell, which is what Aquafina won for. Mm, but mm-hmm. I love Aquafina so much. So I was really... I, it was, it's funny to me that an, an actress and comedian who is like so, I think, very, very funny and just like, I love watching her. I feel like she was legitimately like, this is not really happening when she won. And so her speech was not, you know, it was the speech of someone who's like, I'm not really sure that this is occurring. And I'm just going to get up here and like, thank the people I'm supposed to thank and get off the stage and then like, make sure that I'm actually awake, (laughs) which was like the most charming possible thing to me. So that that maybe was a highlight in terms of the wins. And otherwise, I'm totally out on this whole like enormous bows, enormous sleeves I mean, take that yeah. back to your 1990s bridesmaids dress Agreed. where it belongs for Agreed. the love of God. 
get that out of here. I agree. That's agreed. my only and other then, strong opinion. You know, I guess people want to be like, you know, big and fanciful, but yeah, no, agreed. But we did see some recent polling about Time's Up and Me Too. This is from the end of December. And, you know, I think it's consistent with, is this one question about both Me Too and Time's Up? Is that same views of Me Too and Time's Up? I guess, I guess so, that's... because they're very different, though. My, my assumption was that Me Too is about harassment and women in the workplace um, being, you know, having experienced uh, inappropriate treatment. And then Time's Up was about equal pay in Hollywood. That, that's what I thought those two movements were related, but separate. Well, I know. I mean, Time's Up is going to have, you know, peace in there, too. I mean, it's, it's Time's Up, I guess it's, and I may not be explaining this correctly either, right? But Me Too is like a cultural word, you know, Time's Up is a an organization, right? So that's one difference, right? But they both are meant to, you know, Me Too is really captured for sure, sexual harassment and violence. And Time's Up is, as an organization, focuses on that as well as a variety of other things. So it's going to include equal pay, but it's also going to include a focus on um, harassment as well. It's going to be, you know, broad and, and not simply is my understanding, not simply about the entertainment industry, but obviously harnessing the platforms and power of the entertainment industry. So that's my sense of what the difference is between the two. I I think that's probably a distinction that is more nuanced than a question saying me too and time's up. I'm not sure if people know what time's up is as much as me too. But at any rate, they group them together, which is interesting, but probably fine in terms of the result. And half say they're favorable, 29% unfavorable. This is from CBS News Poll. Um, And then has it made progress? And the plurality say some, almost half say some. 18% say it's had a lot, it's made a lot of progress. 16% say hardly any. And okay, so have Me Too and Time's Up made your view of what sexual misconduct is more clear than before, less clear than before, or hasn't changed? And a third say more clear, 13% less clear, 55% say hasn't changed. That's interesting. Well, now I know. I For some reason, I had always thought that Time's Up was very Hollywood specific and focused on, well, I think it is very Hollywood specific, but I had thought it, it was focused more on pay. Anyhow, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's good. So that, anyway. uh, it's good that it exists and that they're focusing on that issue because Hollywood, yeah. of all industries, is in no position to lecture everyone else. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> all right. I'm looking to right now. So, I'm just it's it's discrimination as well as harassment and assault. So, it's encompassing all of that. And I know for sure that it's not going to be simply about Hollywood. They're going to expand it to you know your your workplace. So, it's not simply you know folks in elite industries. It's women working in all kinds of different industries. Okay. Well, what did we learn this week? Well, we learned more polls. More polls are good. It's better to have more polls than fewer polls. Now that we're in January, it's happening. 2020 is happening. Um, we are finally going to be getting some answers. <laughs> the only the only poll that matters that matters is getting a little bit closer. That's all I have. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters individually at, at Margie O'Mara and at K. Soltis Anderson or on Facebook as well as at www.thepolsters.com. Thanks. Bye.